www.thegirl.com, spelled like my name here. You can click on the pictures there. They're actually free videos. They'll appear differently whether you're on a computer, like a laptop, or on your mobile device. If you're on a mobile device, just click on the mobile movie links and the little blue charms. They'll play that way. Um, you can see that side of me and my friends there, the physical, sexual side of me. Um, you can get a membership, you can make a donation, you can just check out the free stuff. All of the above are very much appreciated. Thank you. Um, as you can see here, what we do is check out the spiritual side of me and that I, I believe exists in everyone. Um, and um, we go over the gospel of Jesus Christ chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And as you can see here, uh, we left off in the book of Mark. We're going to pick up at chapter 10. But before we do, we're going to go over what happened in chapter 9. And as always, just going to focus on the red letters since those are quotes attributed to Jesus Christ. And as a Christian, if you're going to call yourself Christian, Jesus really should get the last word on any subject since that was his mission to bring us what God would have us know uh, as far as our soul salvation on any subject. Um, so what happened in chapter 9 um, was the transfiguration as it's called where Jesus took some of the disciples up on a mountain and was basically uh, overtaken by light and people who seemingly had passed away before then appeared to them to the disciples even and talking with Jesus it basically sounds like reincarnation is a real thing because Jesus even ends it with saying that um, John the Baptist um, he affirms John the Baptist as Elijah the prophet who uh, was prophesied to come again and that uh, it, the people did to him just what it was written of him that was going to happen in the fact that they also persecuted John the Baptist and ended up killing him. Um, so anyway, I know that's not popular in Christianity. People don't want to believe that reincarnation is a thing. But again, Jesus showed us different examples of different things. And reincarnation seems to be one of them when it comes to John the Baptist being Elijah. And then also having Elijah and Moses appear again uh, from the Old Testament here on the mountain with Jesus. So anyway, that's what happened in chapter 9, among other things. We're going to pick it up in chapter 10. Um, verse 1. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. Multitudes gathered to him again, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. So Jesus is going viral. There's a big crowd following him on foot. So he's very popular because people are walking around on foot to follow him wherever he is going. So it lets you know how popular he really is. The Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. So they're testing him to see where his teachings will line up with what their teachings line up with and what they preach as the truth. And knowing Jesus also was Jewish, raised Jewish, uh, so that they're trying to test to see how they will compare. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? So notice that when Jesus uh, is answering them, sometimes, many times, he'll answer their question with the question. And he's asking them to reflect back to what it is they profess as their doctrine to live by. What did Moses, the Old Testament prophet who basically delivered the Ten Commandments to the Israelites in the book of Exodus, 
He's asking them what did he have to say and what is it that he commanded them. Um, not what God commanded, but what did Moses command you? They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and dismiss her. So let you know there that again, it's a patriarchal society that even in their religion, it's the man who was allowed to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And this exists even today in many religions where no matter how miserable the marriage may be or unfaithful to the vows they may be, the woman isn't allowed to get the divorce. She has to wait for the husband to be through with her and divorce her. And this is what a lot of people consider the good old days and wanted to go back to times like this because even in America, women filing for divorce didn't change or become a real thing, I think, until like the 1970s, which was, if you think about it, it was like 50 years ago, very, very recent. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. So there, Jesus is saying something very important here. He told them to reflect back on what Moses commanded him, not what God commanded him. So let you know the commandment is from a man, from Moses. And he's saying um, here that the what was written for them that they're following was written because their hearts were hardened. So that they were unwilling to receive what the reality was. So this sort of contingency plan was uh, was created for them. So again, it's um, Moses who wrote it and um, for their hardness, uh, not God. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. So this is something a lot of people will read over and won't want to accept. But here, um, Jesus is reflecting back to what their teaching is, that in the beginning, God made them male and female. But if you read there, um, the one that was made male and female was one person. It was Adam that was created male and female. He There weren't men and women created because if that's what he wanted to say, that's what he would have said. He said they were created male and female. So that means they were, whether you want to call them hermaphrodites or intersexed or transgender somehow. somehow. Clearly, with Adam being the example of the man with the woman in him until God separates the two, if you're going to believe the Old Testament, Jesus is affirming here that that's how it was at the beginning. And he's saying for this reason, a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. He's saying that because at one point the sexes were one, the genders were one, that that's the reason, and then they were separated, that's the reason that people, men, go out looking for a wife to sort of complete themselves and be that one again. Um, um, but he's saying that that's, how, that's not how it was, that from the beginning the two were one, and the two shall become one flesh, so then they're no longer two but one flesh. So he's saying um, when they one flesh sexually, that's how the two become one in the flesh. They don't actually become one person, but physically, sexually, they become one person. And he's saying, therefore, what God is joined together, let not man separate. And he's reflecting again on this is their teaching in the Old Testament, if you read back in Genesis, that that's what it was and that it's not supposed to be separated. Um, so in the house, his disciples also ask him again about the same matter. So this lets you know the disciples aren't, it's not clear to them, they're not understanding, so they want to get some clarity. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. So Jesus is saying plain and simply, if you divorce your wife 
and um, marry someone else, you're committing adultery against the new wife. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So Jesus is saying the same thing goes for the woman. So that lets you know Jesus sees the sex as equally not like how their religion teaches it. That the man can get a divorce and dis dismiss the woman when he sees fit. Rather, that um, either one are free to do that. Um, but if you marry again, then you're um, committing adultery. And I think that goes for that goes to the vows that people generally take. Of course, you can adjust your vows, but if your vows are till death do you part, and um, neither one of you has died or forsaking all others and neither one of you has forsaken all others again it goes to your vows then if you do that and then you go and make those same vows with someone else and you didn't keep them the first time think what jesus is saying then it's adultery as you didn't keep the vows the first time and now you're asking god to honor you doing making the same vows a second time when you didn't keep them the first time so um jesus goes into it further with the disciples in another place where they say well it's better not to even get married um, and he explains that some people aren't meant to get married. People like myself, for instance. But that's in another gospel, another passage. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Um, but when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. So it lets you know that... Um, Children, just like now, are um, interested in the big picture of things, of why we're here, God and their place in the big picture of, of things and where, and existence and everything. And he's saying, don't stop children from seeking God. In fact, let them come. And he's saying, um, of such is the kingdom of God, I think, saying that you have to approach your faith, you have to approach the kingdom of God and um, with that same um, outlook on life that children do where anything is possible because you know children can imagine anything into reality for their playtime for instance so um, entering into faith you have to do it the same way with that same solid faithfulness that anything is possible I think is what Jesus is saying that children have Surely I say to whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So I don't think he's saying chronologically that you have to be a child's age when you receive the kingdom of God. But you have to have that same um, blind faith that children have in the unknown and the unknown possibilities of things that children have. Rather than be so set in your own ways and realizing how terrible the world can be and focusing on that. And he took them up in his arms, laid and his hands on them and bless them so the other thing to notice here is the example Jesus sets for us is that he's not taking the children aside to do nasty things to them he's showing him that the children can approach him and it should be done in public with everyone else around and embraced and um, not like how people will drop their kids off with strangers now and God only knows what happens to the poor kids um, so again, Jesus is leading by example. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, "Good teacher, what shall I do that I may have eternal, that I may inherit eternal life?" So you have someone else who's approaching Jesus now, wondering, "What? How do I get into heaven?" Basically, so Jesus says, "And why do you call me good?" No one is good but one that is God. So Jesus might be saying this in a sense of. 
how is it this person who uh, is um, comes from out of nowhere is recognizing the divinity in Christ and the fact that he is God and he might be kind of amazed by the fact that he's recognizing that he's God and, and then the other thing to pick up on is how people will say oh he's a good man or she's a good woman Jesus lets us know clearly here no one is good but one that is God you know the commandments do not commit adultery do not murder do not steal do not bear false witness do not defraud honor your father and your mother excuse me so Jesus is basically run down a list of the commandments of the ten that he's affirming here that as Christians we also have to adhere to from the not committing adultery to not murdering to not stealing to not bear false witness to not defraud and honor your father and your mother so that still leaves a few of the um, of the uh, commandments uncovered uh, or at least unmentioned and he answered and said to him teacher all these I've kept from my youth so the person who's inquiring of him how to get into heaven is like well I've done all these commandments he doesn't kill people he doesn't steal he doesn't commit adultery any of these things he's saying so is he good so he doesn't do all those any of those things he sees set then Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him one thing you lack go your way sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me so Jesus knows that he gave him the one he asked he gave him the one commandment he told him the one thing that he has to do that's probably the most difficult of all those things that he uh, that he's um, already adhering to Jesus is telling him that on top of all those other things he has to be charitable he can't um, just uh, consider himself and only think of himself and where he sits in things he has to consider the poor and the fact that he has plenty and there are people who have nothing and he's saying if you want to have treasure in heaven and you want to have riches laid up in heaven then that's what you'll do you'll consider the poor uh, rid yourself of the treasures you've created for yourself here on earth and um, follow Jesus and, and meaning Christianity follow the gospel uh, but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions so that lets you know when it came down to the wire he was willing to do those commandments there the do not murder and so forth but when he came with parting with his money putting his money where his mouth is basically because truly how can you say that you love your neighbor as yourself or you love the Lord if you're not um, considering that your neighbor's sleeping in a ditch or your neighbor doesn't have a job and doesn't have any food to eat or your neighbor is judged by their color or the way they present themselves uh, gender-wise and um, are discriminated because of that but you're okay so then that's all good you can't well you can but you see you'll go away sorrowful at the end because that's what you're putting your treasure in that's where your great possession is and that privilege then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God so Jesus is saying here that the, t the ones who have a tough time getting into heaven aren't the people who you might think uh, of the of the gay person or the tranny or transgender person or whatever you might want to call us or um, even whoever you might think 
it's not the person who you might think it is. He's saying it's the rich people who are going to have a hard time in entering the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying it's not the riches themselves, just like it's not the it's not money that's the root of all evil, as the saying goes. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Uh, at least that's what it says uh, in that proverb. Similarly here, Jesus is saying it's not the riches that are going to keep them out. It's the trusting in those riches. Because I guess when you're rich, you have that as your hedge against... It's even called a hedge fund. You have that as your hedge against the trials and things that other people will face the issues of poverty the not being able to get a meal the losing your house all of that you have a hedge against all that because you have plenty of money and if you have plenty of money you're not even worried about losing your job because you have plenty of money um so jesus is saying trust in that is what um makes it difficult to enter the kingdom of god basically and he said it's in, it says in another place because you've already received your consolation, you've already got your prize, you've already reached your nirvana, you've gotten your heaven in the riches that you have and able to get in, a, in the access that it allows you. Um, uh, and the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, so here, it, as plain as that is, you, some preachers will even twist this and say that he's not talking about a needle, he's talking about a needle gate. Not what he says, it says it right there. And you know he's not talking about a needle gate, because those preachers will go on to say he's talking about a needle gate and you have to unload all your ill-gotten gain. None of that is mentioned at all. And in fact, if that is what he's talking about, then that's not difficult at all. All you have to do is unload it and you can get through the gate, then load it back up again. So that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about literally, it, you, it'd be difficult for a huge camel to go through the tiny eye of a needle. He's saying just as impossible as that is, that's how impossible it is for someone who's trusting in the fact that they have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? So disciples are thinking, as many of us would, well, if people aren't rich and comforted by that in this life, and that isn't a sign of God blessing them and smiling on them and uh, letting them see blessings, then what is? And they're thinking, well, if all of that isn't enough to say that God's smiling on them and they're going to get into heaven, then what is? It's, it's, how can you possibly make it to heaven? And that's why to say, who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. So he's saying, yeah, it's difficult, but it's not impossible. That even the um, the rich person, uh, there are rich people who will make it, and that's, but it's near impossible, just like the camel through the eye of a needle. But he's saying it's not impossible. And I think that means, that points to, that's mentioning the rich people who use their riches for a, a proper purpose for social justice for equality or like he says here selling what they have and distributing to the poor because why would one person need trillions and other while other people get pennies it makes no sense then peter began to say to him see we've left all and followed you so jesus answered and said assuredly i say to you there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife 
or children or lands for my sake and the gospels um so jesus is saying here and he's not finished the saying i would keep on reading just to complete it but just so we don't get lost in what he's saying he's saying there's no one who sets aside all those things those things that people value those things that people treasure uh, houses and family and land and riches basically he's saying if you set all of those things aside including the family for Christ's sake and the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life He's saying, so if you're willing to sacrifice all those things and set them aside or at least put them second and make Jesus first and the Gospels, he says his sake and the Gospels for the sake of Christianity and the message that goes with it, then you'll not only receive all those things you're willing to give up and sacrifice, but much, much more than that, many times more than that, even in this life. But he says also in the age to come, eternal life. So there's a double reward that will happen here and there, um, or now and then. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So I think what he's saying there, that as um, time winds up, winds down, um, whichever way you want to look at it, that um, at the end, those people, the people who are around at the very end, will be some of the first to see what the kingdom is all about. Probably because that's when Jesus is going to present himself and the mystery will be over and then those who are first oh like thousands of years ago even from the beginning or um even in this time where he's walking then then that's when they'll experience um the hereafter also but he could mean something else now they were on the road going up to jerusalem and jesus was going before them and they were amazed and as they followed they were afraid then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them things that would happen to him. So now they're traveling on the road and Jesus is going to give them another prophecy. And um, it lets you know, well, we'll read the prophecy. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. So this lets, them, lets us know that Jesus let them know he knew what was what lied ahead of him that he was gonna go through some trials and tribulations some hard times and he's letting him know that was that's what lies ahead but they're gonna walk right into it anyway and he's letting him know and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him and the third day he will rise again and i think he's talking in a third person here by saying him instead of saying and they will kill him saying me instead of saying me in these situations i think he's saying him because he knows that this testimony is going to have to be passed down and so it won't be confused that um for people in the future us when we read it to know that he's it's himself that he's talking about and it's himself he knew was going to suffer these things uh then james and john the sons of zebedee came to him saying teacher we want you to do for us whatever we ask so this sort of is like the disciples it sounds like disciples testing what he said we're asking you shall receive so or whatever things you ask when you pray believe that you receive them and you'll have them so it sounds like the disciples are like well let's test that theory let's ask for whatever it is we want and see if it's true that we'll get whatever it is we ask for and he says and what do you want me to do for you so jesus even though he knows the hearts and can read the minds he is 
asking them plainly and I think this also is for us so that it can be documented that um, the back and forth the dialogue that even we should have when it comes to approaching Christ and praying for things they said to him grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory so they're clout chasing the disciples are asking to be exalted when Jesus comes into his own into the kingdom they want to sit up high but Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? So Jesus is telling them, he's answering them. They don't know what they're asking for in wanting to be exalted the way he's exalted and lifted up the way he's lifted up. He's saying the way he's going to be lifted up is on the cross. And the way he's going to be exalted is through him being murdered, being killed, and crucified. And that's the baptism I think that he's referring to here, not just the water baptism. They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I'm baptized with, you'll be baptized. So he's saying they're going to go through the same thing he's going through, although I don't know that they necessarily picked up on that. Then he's saying they're, they too will be martyred, they're going to be killed. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. So here's an example of um, a prayer not being granted, and a prayer not being answered the way we think it would, or a request not being granted um, when it's asked for or prayed for directly from Jesus, even by the disciples. And one of the reasons it's not granted is because it's not for him to give. So that lets us know that there... Uh, there are limits to different things we can pray for and ask for and um, maybe that's something to consider when we wonder why it seems that sometimes our prayers don't get answered some things are outside of um, what's able to be given um, and he's saying it, those places in heaven those um, exalted spots are already prepared for someone else apparently not for them but he did tell them in another place that they'll sit on the throne. So maybe their clout chasing is uh, kind of futile because they're already going to have places. And they're even have places in memorial. The fact that they're mentioned in the Bible these thousands of years later. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. So the other disciples are not pleased with the fact that those two were clout chasing. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great great ones exercise authority over them. So Jesus is saying, you know that that's how the world works. The people who are in power use that power and exercise that power over everyone underneath them. And that's clear. I mean, a clear easy example is the impeachment trial earlier this year that seems like it was a lifetime ago. The people in power vote for each other to avoid charges to avoid witnesses and have trials without a witness and then exonerate each other and acquit each other and move on. And like I said then, like Jesus said, wisdom is justified by our children. We'll know by the end of this next election cycle, if God willing we even make it to through it, um, if that was a wise decision by them to even bring the charges at that point when they knew that the Senate would acquit such charges. But Jesus is letting us know that that's the way of the world, that the people who have power lord that power over those who don't. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. So that's what the people who are elected are supposed to be, public servants, although that's not who they serve at all. 
Um, but Jesus is letting us know in the Christian sense and the Christian kingdom and hierarchy of things that it's through service that we're exalted and not by um, trying to lift ourselves up and exalt ourselves and make ourselves bigger and holier than someone else uh, in each other's eyes um, but rather in God's eyes uh, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all so again he's saying it's in humbling yourself that you find greatness in the eyes of God for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus is saying, follow his example. Jesus didn't come here to be waited on with uh, gold and silver and rich robes and a mansion. He's saying no. He took the lowly route and walked among the common people and performed healings among lepers who were exiled from the community and uh, walked with prostitutes and tax collectors and people despised by uh, society he's saying that's the route that you take take the lowly route don't keep trying to lift yourself up um, in pride because that's not where the Christian right a Christian path is now they came to Jericho and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude blind Bartimaeus the son of Timaeus sat by the road begging so the first thing to notice is how quickly it went from they got to Jericho and then it jumps to they're leaving Jericho. And there's a reason for that. It's because the people who compiled the Bible uh, left out a passage there. Um, and if you want to read that passage, it goes to, um, it, it's um, in the secret mark. It's in a gospel called the, gospel, the secret mark gospel. You can search it. Um, and um, I think I included a link on one of the previous readings but you can easily search it and find it um, and it jumps there because a passage is left out and it's a passage that points to um, the person a young man who is described as being with Jesus the night of the betrayal before the crucifixion who when they're attacked his clothes get ripped off of him and he flees naked it's the same person who's left out here in the secret gospel of Mark that is the reason why it jumps from them entering Jericho to them leaving Jericho and it's interesting and it lets you know how even the Bible is not a perfect vessel because it's been edited by man and it's been edited because that's uh, the passage there that's stuffed out is it has homoerotic uh, allusions to it that I guess people were just uncomfortable with and rather than let people know that yes even homosexuals are allowed in the kingdom welcome in the kingdom a part of the kingdom rather than do that it serves a purpose to keep the divisions alive whether it's black and white whether it's gay and straight whether it's male and female to keep the divisions of us and them alive so um, for whatever reason that's left out of our Bibles but you can read what it says in the secret gospel of Mark um, and that that's why it jumps like that and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth he began to cry out and say Jesus son of David have mercy on me um, so you see someone suffering tormented looking for help from Jesus uh, even crying out for the help in that kind of desperation and many warned him to be quiet but he cried out all the more son of David have mercy on me so the son of David is the prophesied uh, son or heir to the throne of David the king in the Old Testament credited with writing the gospel I mean writing the Psalms it's that King David who uh, is referred to um, as the father and the son of David is the 
prophesied son who would become a king from the line of David. And that's who the person is crying out to Jesus. The person looking for help is recognizing Jesus as the fulfillment of that prophecy, basically, when they say son of David. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to them, Be of good cheer, arise, he's calling you. So the blind man didn't give up looking for his miracle and calling Jesus um, in the crowd of people, even though they were telling him to shush. Um, he called out all the more and got the attention, the face time he was looking for with Jesus. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? So again, Jesus is aware that the man can't see, just as he's aware of what the disciples were coming to him when they were clout chasing. But instead of assuming anything, he asked them what it is that's on their mind, rather than um, just go in on what he knows is on their heart. The blind man says, I'm Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. So the blind man is like, well, I'd like my sight. It, it, it's like, it, obviously he'd want his vision, but, you know, maybe the man had a sore leg or a headache or whatever also. Um, so Jesus is asking what it is that he needed help with, what it is that he wanted. So the blind man said, it's his sight that he wants. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. So in this case, Jesus is saying it's the man's faith, his own faith that got him the healing he was looking for. And Jesus is saying there um, that it's his faith that made him well and he sends him on his way. And I think and there's times when Jesus will say um, he'll do a healing and then tell them not to tell anyone or he'll cast out demons and tell them not to broadcast it, not to tell anyone. And again, I think that's because, um, one, with the demons, because they were accusing him of using the demons to cast out the demons. And then two, also because the crowds got to be so big where Jesus couldn't travel freely to the different areas where he needed to go to spread the uh, word as freely. It didn't stop his ministry, but it maybe put up roadblocks unnecessarily towards it. So that actually ends this reading. I hope it was a blessing for you, and I hope you'll join me again. God willing, we'll have our Jean-Luc Wednesdays where we'll go over those Gospels. And Saturday night after midnight, early Sunday morning, we'll pick up where we left off in the book of Revelation. And of course, our Matt and Mark Mondays. So in the meantime, wash your hands, wear your mask, be safe, and love your neighbor. And thanks again for checking me out. Peace.